brethren, we are now entering, as most of you know, the most exciting and the most traumatic time in human history. And that's not an overstatement. That's the truth. We're entering that time right now. Most of you know that. We have wars and rumors of wars all over the earth. We have a country that's divided, very divided, more divided than perhaps it's ever been except just before the Civil War. There have been a number of articles on that. We're going to have all kinds of problems here. Satan, it tries to divide us. He tries to divide God's people in Israel. He tries to divide people in God's church. His approach is divide and conquer. So we want to understand that and resist Satan's devices. We will be persecuted, brethren, in the future as these things unfold. I think you know that. Whoever gets elected, one may cause more problems than the other, frankly, but we're going to be persecuted. Christ said that in advance. And the early apostles and the early church of God was persecuted terribly, and we're going to be persecuted. And during that time, we're going to need each other. Think about this. When we're hurting, when we're being chased, we're being kicked out of our jobs, some of us kicked out of our homes, some of our brethren going hungry, we're going to need each other as a family. We in God's church will need each other as a family. And God describes that all the way through the Bible. God is enlarging His family. We are called sons of God. And God Almighty is enlarging His family right now. That's part of His purpose. And we are family, and we need to learn to function as a Christian family in the right way. Turn with me, if you would, brethren, to Ephesians in your New Testament. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. And beginning here in verse... I'm going to actually do better by looking at him close and getting the light right on this thing if I can. He says, Therefore I ask you, at verse 13, Ephesians 3.13, Paul wrote, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations. And we're going to have tribulations, not just the ministry, but many of you will have tribulations, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is enlarging His family, and we are part of that family. And brethren, in the terrible times just ahead, we're going to need each other. And we need to try to build a stronger family here in this local church in Charlotte and in God's churches around the world. We ask, we should ask God in prayer to help us be more of a family, to understand what that it means, to break down barriers. Every one of us can't do everything that we'd like. Some in the church are getting older. They need help. They can't do what they used to do, but they can pray and they can fast and they can help others in many ways. Some of you are younger can do other things. Some of you have a lot more money. You have bigger houses and more opportunities to serve. Try to think of yourself as part of a family. How would God Almighty want you to function as part of the family of God today in the church of God? The whole family in heaven and earth is named after God. We are the church of God, and we are a family. 
Let's turn now, if you would, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and beginning in verse 4. Romans chapter 2, brethren. And if I could catch that here. I'm sorry, I think I mean Romans 12. Romans 12. Paul wrote, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. All of us are part of a body, and we ought to interact, just like the hand needs the foot, the eye needs the ear. Every one of us needs each other when we understand it. God wants us to think of it that way. We're one body in Christ, and individually members, members one of another, so that shows we're a real family if we're members one of another, having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. We're to preach to you according to how much we deeply believe something. And we're to do, preach in that way by faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministry or who teaches on teaching. Each of us is to use the strengths we have as part of the family of God. He who exhorts on exhortation, he who gives with liberality, those who can give generously are told by God to give generously. That's part of the special service. God gives what you have, and you should give generously as best you can, each one of us. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate. And we should try to be that way in the church of God more than ever. Love each other. Forgive each other. Function together as a family. Be kindly affectionate one to another uh, in brotherly love and honor giving preference to another. Not lagging in diligence but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. We're going to go through trials and tests and tribulation, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So all of us should try to eat within our means. Some of you have more money, you have more home, you have, you're younger, you have stronger ability to do that but try to be given to hospitality. Think of these other people, all of them, of whatever background, of whatever financial means, of whatever race or ethnic group they are. We're all family. We're bound together by a deeper bond, and we should think of it that way. We're bound together by a deeper bond than many families are bound together. If we have God's Holy Spirit, if we have Christ living in us, and we really should think of it that way. So we should try to be given to hospitality and help people in the church and serve them as part of our extended family. Turn with me now, if you would, to Galatians. I'm sorry. I want to go at this point to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4 and beginning in verse 23, breaking into the thought here, they had been threatened 
the apostles in the early church for healing this man. And so being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them how they were threatened. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And you have, by the mouth of your holy prophets, David, have said, Why did the nations rage and the people of plot of vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your, your holy servants, the King James has child some of these places. It's not that. That's an incorrect translation. Christ has never called a baby or a child once he was grown, once he was made God, once he was resurrected. Your holy servant, Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and people of Israel have gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before. God had allowed this to be done. He planned that this would work out. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. You see, when we're in terrible trials, God forces us, in a sense, to draw close to him. We either, either draw close to him or we fall away. And if we cry out to God in these trials, that is the very time he may give us the gifts of the Spirit more than ever to heal the sick, discern spirits, cast out demons. He said, show your power and grant that your servants, that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. Back us up by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. Notice verse 12. And they had one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, brethren, I'm not trying to say that the New Testament teaches communism. It doesn't. But in this kind of an unusual circumstance, there were apparently hundreds or even thousands of Jews who came to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost at 31 A.D., and they stayed over because of the outpouring of God's Spirit. And many had to be taken in by the local brethren. They had to be housed and clothed and fed and taken care of. And at that point in time, when the church was under persecution, they just shared everything. They literally shared everything. They said, we are family. And they had that attitude. And God himself may drive us to that kind of circumstance if we're willing later on to have that deep feeling where in a necessity we will simply know we're family no matter what. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Now there was, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all were possessions of saints. They had all things in common. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as they had need. It wasn't communism. They didn't divide up everything. But as anyone had need, there were apparently tens of thousands of dollars worth of money food, equipment, clothing put at the apostles' feet to help these hundreds and hundreds of brethren who needed help because they were family. 
They understood that. We're not Jews or Greeks. We're not black or white. We're not male or female. Yes, we do use separate restrooms. And yes, we try not to teach regular intermarriage across broad racial lines. We're not changing that. We're not hurting people if they make a mistake in that way. It's not some horrible thing. It's not ideal. But it's not breaking one of the Ten Commandments directly. We are family. And the spiritual relationship of being part of the family of God overrides and must override the physical sex we're in or the racial background or our financial circumstances. That deep feeling, that deep understanding, we are made of the image of God God has called us out of this world, and we are family. And so they distributed everything they had and gave it to the apostles who gave it out as each one had need. And Joseph, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. Barnabas was a very encouraging minister, a Levite of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it, so he was willing to give what he had. He was not an apostle yet, but he had that attitude. He sold that land and gave, brought the money and gave it at the apostles' feet. So they had a deep feeling, a deep, profound feeling that they were family. I always remember one of the closest people of my friends for many years, and some of you older brethren, if this is a party that's here today, if Mrs. Sediatic were still alive and here today, and others would remember that. But one of my dear friends back in the 1950s was Mr. Harold Jackson. Burke McNair and I baptized Mrs. Jackson in San Diego on a baptizing tour in 1950. No, I'm sorry, 1952. And Mr. Jackson had already been baptized. We accepted that because he was baptized by an offshoot of the Sardis Church and he was absolutely converted, as Mr. Armstrong later confirmed. He had God's Spirit. He was a black man. But he moved to San Diego because the atmosphere was much better out there in racial ways. And he came into God's church. And we let him in. He was one of the first ones in God's church. And I ordained him a deacon with Mr. Armstrong's permission. I later ordained him an elder. And I was the one who helped get him into Ambassador College. And he and I spent hundreds of hours together talking, sharing things, had meals together. I was in his house and he was in my house. And I told my family, and I've told many in the older church, some few of you brethren may have heard me say that. Mr. and Mrs. Davis may have heard me say this, even when he was still alive. If I had to be exiled on a desert island, you know, proverbial desert island, with one other human being, I would rather be exiled there with Mr. Harold Jackson than most of the members of my family who were not converted. Mr. Jackson, I would have far more in common. We had the whole purpose of human existence in common. And I loved him, and he loved me, and we helped each other on many occasions. The last meal that my wife, my first wife, my son Jim and daughter Elizabeth is her, the last meal for a guest that their mother ever prepared on this earth before she died of cancer, she prepared in our home for Mr. Harold Jackson. So we tried to be family with him and many others of the brethren in the church that I pastored where we had dozens and dozens of black brethren 
and later Latino brethren and others. We tried to be family. We did not do it perfectly, but we tried to be that way. And we've got to grow in that even more today, brethren, and have that attitude and share everything when we're in trouble. And I think God's coming time of trial and test is going to give us the realization we've got to be that way. That's something, that's a big thing with God Almighty. Turn with me at this point now, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter uh, 2. Now we go find it Romans 2. And here let's turn at this point to Romans 2. And uh, if I can catch this, verse 28. The Apostle Paul said, was inspired, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew. We're all spiritual Jews. We're all part of the same lineage when you understand it the way God looks at it, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but from God. So we're all spiritual Jews if we're converted and have God's Holy Spirit. Then we turn to Galatians, if you would. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Paul wrote, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one. We're one, a family relationship in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're all going to receive that same promise, spirit bodies. We won't be male or female. We won't be tall or short, fat or skinny. We won't be black or white or Latino or anything else. We will be spirit beings together through eternity in the very family of God. So we want to try to function like that in this life as much as we can, obviously, within the right propriety. We're not saying that the like the, some of the liberals today, the young men ought to rush into the girls' bathrooms. We don't do it by talking about that. It's talking about the deep spiritual love and kindness and sharing that we ought to experience as part of the very family of God. On the baptizing tour in 1950, with 1952, I mean, with Burke McNair, I'll always remember Mr. and Mrs. Roy Hammer taking us in back in Big Sandy, Texas. Here we were, two young men losing sleep, losing showers. Our clothes were dirty. Our underclothes probably were dirty because we didn't have time to wash them out quickly. We just tried to put them in the sink real quick and keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm sure we looked like a mess because we lost sleep. We lost food. We were driving ourselves. But Mr. and Mrs. Roy Hammer back in Big Sandy, Texas, before the feast was ever there. They took us in, and Mrs. Hammer said, she said, she, she fed us and gave us a great big meal. And she said, I know, boys. She says, I have five boys of my own. She says, you guys probably need your clothes washed. She said, no, it's all right. She said, no, it's not all right. She said, you give me your dirty clothes. I'll wash them. She knew how boys were. She could see we were tired and moving and driving and driving. 
So she made us, even though we had a motel to stay in already, she made us give her, her our dirty underclothes, which she washed for us and had the next day and fed us that night and the next morning. We were family. She and Mr. Roy Hammer helped people all over that area. When the feast began to be observed there, she acted as the dispatcher to help line them up with a place to stay. Everything she could do for them, Mr. Hammer was constantly helping put together the whole feast. Had no pay. He was not on the payroll most of those years. Giving, 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 serving. Part of the family, a whole family atmosphere was created back there by the Hammers. Many people back in those days had that kind of attitude. And I always remember up in Oregon, when I went up there with Owen Smith and, and uh, Ken Herman, who became the registrar. Some of you older brethren remember him. We went up there to work in the woods. And on the weekends, we came down on the Jeep from work in the woods. And Mr. and Mrs. David Henyon, he was an original board member of what was in the Radio Church of God. They took us in. They had us stay with them, use their bedroom, their guest room, use their shower. She provided sheet, clean sheets and towels and everything. She fed us, got up early every morning while we were there on the weekends and fixed us big, wonderful meals. We were family. We were treated just like we were their grandchildren over and over, weekend after weekend after weekend. They took care of us because we were family. And there was that atmosphere at that time. Back in First Thessalonians, chapter 2, if you would, First Thessalonians, Chapter 2, notice what God says here, if I can find my marking here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. The Apostle Paul told the Thessalonian Christians, he says, We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, I had a wonderful father and mother and overall a good family. But my father always wanted, I was his only son. He wanted me to be tough. He wanted me to be masculine. He bought me a fast bag, you know. He didn't buy me the big heavy bag like Rocky used. But he taught me boxing and told me to be tough, not to show pain. So I had to work on that gentleness later because he wanted me to be all man and he didn't understand the tender part, although he certainly had a tender part of his personality too. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, said we were like a nursing mother. We helped you people. We loved you people. We took care of you. I know I might have started out a little bit too tough and strict and harsh in the ministry because of my background. But luckily, as I raised up the Church of God in San Diego, most of my parishioners, frankly, in that early church were like my grandmother. And my grandmother Meredith was one of my favorite people on the earth. I especially loved her, and I had in that church several older ladies who were old enough to be my grandmother. All of them were older than my mother. Mrs. Levy, Mrs. Beischlein, Mrs. Labuse, and little tiny Miss Willette. <laughs> I always remember those dear old ladies. They would come up after the sermon and pat my hand, and they'd say, Oh, Roderick, you gave such a wonderful sermon. Well, of course, I didn't. I was practicing on them. They knew that. But they were trying to encourage me, and I could be very gentle to them. And I learned that being having these old ladies in my congregation, I think God guided my life to help me by putting me in that situation as, as my very first congregation 
when I raised up the San Diego church, that's who they were. They were family. We were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives. They just shared everything they had, their energy, their time, their love, their wisdom with these brethren because you'd become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day. Apparently, the Apostle Paul worked long hours during the day as a tent maker or whatever. Then he was visiting people at night and helping them, encouraging them, and spending time in their homes. Then on the weekends, he would be conducting the Sabbath service, laboring day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you we preached to you the gospel of God. So they were not trying to take tithes from us, but they were trying to help these people no matter what. You were witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, get this, a family, as a father does his children. So he constantly tried to help them in that way that you would have a walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. God is calling us to glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man but as it is in truth the word of God. They took it seriously. This is coming from God and they knew that because Paul was so sincere and they could see he was preaching what the Bible said and that God was guiding him. They believed it as the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators. The New King James is best translated imitators of the churches of God, which are in Christ Jesus. So uh, in Judea. So they imitated the churches of God. That's one of the name of God's churches, the church of God or the churches of God, the name of God's church in Judea. They imitated the Jewish churches because they kept the Sabbath. They kept the holy days. But certainly with Paul there and that attitude, they became family because he became like a father to them and helped them and served them and helped them to learn to help and serve one another obviously in the same way by his example. That's very important to understand that. So he certainly was trying to serve them in every way he could. Each one of us needs to try to become family and ask God to help us become family in every way we can and to reflect Christ in our lives and in the relationship we have in this church as family. Certainly, we need to practice servant leadership. That's one of the same sermons I gave at the Feast of Tabernacles. We ministers are not to be domineering dictators, but to help, to build, to serve. And all of you should try to help and serve one another in every way you can. So try to do that in every way you can. Serve these other human beings as dear fellow Christians in the family of God. And think of them in that way more than many of you have. All of us need to. I need to remind ourselves, all the brethren here, some of them later may lose their jobs. They may need help financially for a while. 
If we find people are moochers, begging in the wrong way, we'll deal with it. But it's better to give too much than to give too little. Think about it. It's better to give too much than to give too little. Love, serve, help, build, and think of the whole concept of family because that's what God Almighty wants us to do, brethren, and we certainly should try to do that more than many of us do. Turn back to John 13, if you would now. John chapter 13. And let's begin reading here in verse 34. Very familiar passage, I hope, to all of us. Near the end of his life, this is what Jesus told us here in John 13 and verse 34. A new commandment. It wasn't new in one way because it's given back in Leviticus 19.18 to love your neighbor as yourself. But Christ showed it was new because he expounded it, he expanded it, he magnified it in his own life. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. I showed you how to do that all day long. Christ was not in a monastery just reading old scriptures, hanging out by himself. He was out talking to the people, helping them, encouraging them, giving to them, even supernaturally creating food and water for them, delivering them, helping them, inspiring them all day long. All day long. That's what he did. And he set that example of giving and helping and serving until the end of his very life. Then finally at that point, of course, why he had to give his life, he who had been God came down into the human flesh and emptied himself and gave his life in death, one of the most horrible deaths that had ever been invented by a depraved humanity, a slow, embarrassing, agonizing, excruciating death to show how God loved this world. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he wants a lot of other sons. He wants all kinds of sons and daughters in his kingdom and family. We're to be part of the very family of God forever. So God set that example and Christ set that example. He said, you love one another as I have loved you. So you should love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's a very important, that attitude of love, of kindness, of outflowing concern to help others. I'll always remember one of my first pastorates after I've raised up the San Diego church, Mr. Armstrong sent me up to Portland, Oregon. And I may mention this to you before, but up in Portland, Oregon, in the church there was a lady called Close Shippert. She was a deacon, a deaconess, I should say. Very nice lady. She was about the age of my mother. So there's nothing improper going on. But she took care of me. She watched over me like a mother. Every single week I received a note of encouragement from Close Shepherd virtually every week. And she said, you gave such a wonderful sermon and you helped us and so on. Well, I knew what was going on by that time. I knew she was trying to encourage me, but they certainly did in person. Often she would bring me food and give me some special item because she knew I was a bachelor. She and her husband, Art Shepherd, had me out to their farm, living right outside of Portland several times to dinner and took care of me and helped me. 
And once Chloe Shepard realized, I don't know who told her, but I was indeed a bachelor. I'm not very clever at fixing things, as all my family knows, even cleaning and fixing things in a certain way. She said, I think I'd better come in with another lady, Mr. Meredith, and it'd be nice. I know you're batching to clean your apartment. I said, oh, that's not necessary. And then she said it another time, and I said, it, it's going to be okay. But that very next week, after the second time, suddenly she shows up with a big mop and pail and broom, this other woman, <laughs> and they came in my apartment. And, boy, they made it clean. I thought, wow, it has been dirty more than I realized, for they got through with it. She was taking care of me. She did that about twice a thing. She was acting like my mother. She treated me like her son. And she did that to lots and lots of new people who would come in. There was Close Shepherd taking care of them as a family. I know our first elder up there at Basel, in Portland, Oregon, was named Basil Wolverton. You older brethren remember the Bible story. He's the one that wrote the pictures. And he and his wife, his wife was named Honor, like an honor code. And they have very loved each other, a very loving marriage. And Basil tried to encourage me, too. Even though he was an elder, he was not full-time. He got no salary. And Mr. Armstrong sent me up there and got me started. He said to pinch hit for Basil Wolverton. He, I said, I'm not ready to be a minister. He said, well, that's what you're doing, and you will go up to this. will be good experience. And hey, ba so I went, and Basil, again, watched over me like family. He and Honor had me over nearly every week, every week, and had a big steak dinner and took care of me and tried to help me in other ways. There was a whole atmosphere of family up there. And so we had that wherever we went in the church of God, over and over, was like a family. I remember the Pyle family, the older Piles in Pasadena when they first came out. Norvally married Mr. Ron Kelly, and Natalie married Mr. Tony Hammer later, but the girls were younger then. And, of course, all the young men were glad to go to their house because they had their other girlfriends there. And on Saturday night, they had a church barbecue. It was just a tradition. Everyone went to the Piles, and they would have us over and they would help prepare some salads and fixings, but we had to bring our own meat or whatever. And then everybody would be together in a great big family atmosphere because they knew we were lonely. The church was small and growing, and they helped provide that family atmosphere with two pretty daughters and these other young men that were hanging around. And then all of the rest of us came, men and women and families came. We had a family atmosphere, and people tried to entertain each other, help each other, encourage each other. And when people were sick, they'd always have someone from the church there to stay with a woman when she was having a baby to take care of them. There was that atmosphere continually, building a family spirit. And Almighty God wants us to do that, as I know you know, but we really need to think about that and do that maybe more than we are. Turn with me back to Matthew, if you were 25, Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 31. This is one of the most important passages of the Bible when you really understand it. It shows the mind of God from Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, and beginning in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory in magnificent glory and power. But notice the attitude he has 
and the attitude he wants us to have. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd does his sheep and, the, and goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. So here's the attitude we need to have. If some of our brethren lose their jobs, or we have new people moving into our area, or you people out in Chicago or Los Angeles, or wherever you are in London, in Johannesburg, Cape Town, Sydney, Melbourne, Australia, all around the world. If new people move in and they need help, treat them like family. Let's build a family atmosphere. I know many of you are doing this, but let's learn to do it even more. Because as I say, when some of us are in jail, some of our members have to lose their jobs even more than ever because of persecution. They're going to need that. They're going to need a sense of support. They're going to need a safe place so to speak. And if the church is that safe place, and we provide that. And brethren, I want to say this also. Sometimes in the church, and this is not evil, but I think we need to work on this. I know that Mr. Uh, Mr. Sheldon Munson has done a very good job with the youth program the last two years, and they'll not only help and serve and encourage each other at the summer camp and have all these wonderful activities together, but they have a sense of excitement. And the kids like that. And new people like that. You know, one of the fastest growing religions around the world is Pentecostalism. Why? Because they have this sense of excitement. It's something they put on. We can't imitate that, but we can ask God to help us be more excited about serving in the right way and have a deep, profound love for new people. Let them know they're coming. We're really glad to have you here. How can we help you? And let them know we mean it by having a genuine attitude, encouraging them, hugging them, talking to them, sharing with them, and when they need help, giving to them. Where this church begins to build an atmosphere and a reputation as a church that gives and gives and gives and helps other human beings in the church, out of the church, through our outreach program, and certainly new people coming into the church see that warm, loving outflowing family spirit when they come in this church, that's going to help many more of them become in the first resurrection and gain eternal life. I know God has to call them, but God works through human instruments. And in all the years I've been in the church now, for about 67 years, I've seen that wherever we have that kind of atmosphere in a local congregation, that congregation will grow. If you just come in and you have a set of rules and you're ready to catch them at something, That does not create that kind of love. That does not create that kind of growth. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. We want to serve one another as family. So let's build that atmosphere in the church of God and try to build a sense of love and excitement. Let's put our hearts in our songs more and think of other things to make the church more vibrant, more exciting, where young people will want to come in and feel a sense of excitement beside the sermons, but just the whole atmosphere will be electrifying. At the summer camp, I know they have, we can't do that here, but they have these 
boom, 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 kind of going on the march in and out of the of the meals, and they gave a sense of excitement. And we can build that in this church in a right way. It doesn't break any of God's laws. Just create that. And if we're building that around the whole concept of love, of kindness, of sharing, of giving to those in need, and we give ourselves to one another as family, the word's going to get around. And this church is going to grow here and around the world. So I hope all of us can do that. So Jesus said here himself, he said he's going to have to separate when he comes back to this earth in glory, the king, the, the goats from the, from the sheep. He says, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you took, you gave me food. We want to be the church that gives people food. Don't be afraid to give them food. You say they might waste it. There might be someone taking advantage. Well, if you can prove that, but don't be looking for the loose brick. Let's rather be willing to be taken advantage of a little bit, be willing to give too much rather than give too little. Please build that atmosphere. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Now, you can't all you young women take in men that would be trying to prey on you. We understand that. But certainly many older widows or members of a family with a father and mother there can take people in. You might have a spare room and new people are coming in. They've lost their job or there's a single woman without help. Learn to take them in. Learn to share. I know we're not all used to do that. I understand that in our society, many people have been taken advantage of. But brethren, we're entering a horrible time of persecution, of suffering, of hunger, of a divisive attitude where people are going to hate one another. We must not hate each other. We must love each other across our different ethnic backgrounds, build that atmosphere Go beyond, if you have to, build it, help each other, pray for each other, and give to each other. Pour yourself into it. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. A stranger, you took me in. You took me into your home and took care of me. Like Mr. and Mrs. David Henyon took in Owen Smith and me all those years ago up in Oregon and just gave us everything. Mrs. Henyon was a farm woman from Oklahoma and she'd get up every morning. She had to cook on an old wood stove. Start the wood stove. Got it ready. She had to be up working by 5.30 because we had to leave for work about 7 or whatever it was when we were staying there over the weekend. But she was always there. Had wonderful meals cooking for us on her wood stove. I was naked and you clothed me. Some people are going to need clothing. We may need to start a used clothing thing more than we've done before. In the future, I was sick and you visited me. Let's try to visit others and help them. I wish I could do more of this personally, brethren, but I can hardly walk. Most of you know that. But I did do an awful lot of that in my earlier years. I drove myself year after year when all my friends in the world were going on out dates and summer camps in Colorado. And I was not having any dates. They didn't see any movies yet to do anything giving up all that on baptizing tours, losing sleep, losing food, everything, 
many other summers having campaigns all summer long. I've tried to do my part, but I have not done it perfectly. I have not done it perfectly. But we all can do better, and I hope all of us will try to do better. Help others. Take them in. Visit the sick. I was in prison, and you came to me. Let's visit those who are in prison as best we're able. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then Jesus answered, and here's, of course, the mind of God as God looks at it. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of them, of these my brethren, you did it to me. So if you do it to someone in the church, if you do it to some new person visiting, they may not be baptized yet. They may just be a, a, a prospective member, but they've moved here to get help. They need help. You take them in. Do you think that's going to help them want to come on in? You better believe it is. If we have that atmosphere, we build that atmosphere of very great hospitality and love and serving. So he says, the, then he will say to those on his left hand, the bad guys here, the goats, those who are stingy and not willing to do that. Notice the mind of God. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow. This fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. But God says some are going to have to be put in that fire because they simply won't give. I'm being stronger than I normally am on this, but I got to think about it as I read it. This is what Christ said. He said that if you aren't willing to give and to help and to serve, and you're not willing to take in Christ, and these people represent Christ as he showed here in this parable, then you are going to be in danger of being into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I, in the person of these other human beings that are hurting, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. What's wrong? You wouldn't help them. You were too tired. You were too busy. You wanted to save your money. You were too lazy. You were afraid you might be taken advantage of. You were too strict maybe in the wrong way. I was hungry and you gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in. Naked, I need clothing and you wouldn't share your clothing with me. And in prison and you did not visit me. So we will have more brethren in prison in the near future than we have ever had before. I, by near future, I don't mean the next few months, but over the next several years, I'm sure that's going to happen. And I think you see that coming as these different politicians try to crack down. Some of them make people do things that they're not wanting to do. I was a stranger in prison. You did not visit me. Then they will also answer verse 44, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked in prison and did not minister to you? Then Christ Jesus, representing God Almighty, will answer, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Think about that. You're not doing it to Christ. 
Christ is there. Christ is telling us, please learn to reach out. Please learn to give, to help, to share. Share your food. Share your money if need be. Share your home. Share your love and your time to help other human beings when they're in trouble because they're family. I will always remember when my mother nearly died of a heart attack. It was in about July of 1951. I remember because Mr. Raymond Manera and I were on a baptizing tour all over the United States, and we had just visited her in the hospital. She'd had this, and then she took a turn for the worst, and she'd had a heart attack. And I heard about it, and I decided to change our schedule and circle back around to see my mother. And Raymond went with me, and we came and saw our stayed in our home because my mother was in the hospital, but my dad was at home, and Mrs. Ames, my little sister, was pretty little at that time in 19... Well, she's six years younger than me. I was, I was, I had just turned uh, 21, so she would have been about uh, 15, I guess. And Patty, my older sister, not older, but middle sister, would have been about 18. And my dad, sitting at the table, I think he may have had to fix the meal. I can't remember. But I'll always remember this because he had been a tough guy. He didn't show emotion very much at all. But he showed me a pile of letters that were just now coming in from family. My mother had the Cohane girls. There were seven of them and one son in the family, John Cohane. And here the family had heard by them calling each other on the phone. They didn't have telegraph and or they didn't have Internet. I mean, things like that back there. But they probably called each other that Mildred is dying and her husband Carl doesn't make a lot of money. And he had all right. We had a decent home and so on, but things were tight in those days. And we did not have any health plan in those days at all. They knew it was going to wipe him out. And all of a sudden, there's this pile of letters and tears came to his eyes. Here was $2,000 from Aunt Kay, $3,000 from Aunt Glad, $1,000 from Uncle John, $1,500 from Aunt Dorothy. Different ones were sending from all over the United States. Family, family. Thousands of dollars came in. Perhaps it was a total of ten or $12,000. Well, that wouldn't go very far today, but that was worth about five times as much back there. So if we got $10,000, it would be like 50000 a day. And certainly, apparently, it was enough to pay the hospital bill and help take care of mother and help them get over the hump. I'll always remember Daddy showing me that. And tears came to his eyes. Family, family taking care of each other. So please try to think of those examples, brethren. Many of you have sold those examples in your own family. I'm not the only one. I know that. But family can be a tremendous thing if we build that atmosphere of family right here in the Charlotte Church of God and you, brethren, in Kansas City and Los Angeles and Portland and San Diego, and Denver, and, and, and Houston, and Fort Lauderdale, and all our other churches build that atmosphere across the United States, and Canada, and Britain, and Australia, all around the world, all of us, try to be family, help each other. And if some of our brethren get in greater trouble all of a sudden in Britain because of local persecution, or in Australia, 
then those of us in the other nations, not just other churches, should hear about it, respond to it every way we can because we are family. And think about that in a profound way that Christ is in us. This is what Christ is telling us to do. It's a very serious matter. You did not clothe me. You did not visit me. And then they said, Lord, when did we not do these things? Then he will answer them, verse 45, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these. It doesn't have to be some important elder or deacon in the church. It doesn't have to be some impressive individual. Another member of God's church or perhaps even prospective member that's there that needs help. They are family. You did not do it to me. And they will go into everlasting punishment. Not punishing, but punishment, which is death in the lake of fire. They won't live forever. But they will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So that's pretty serious. Christ wants us to be part of family and to think of it in that way perhaps more than many of us have done And I hope all of you can think of this whole concept in that way, brethren, maybe more than you have. And I hope that you will begin to think of it. Turn with me again back to Romans 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12. And here... In Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're not to be a dead sacrifice. We're to be active, helping, giving, serving, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your intelligent service. And do not be conformed to this world where people are not family, they're selfish, they're relying on the government to do everything, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So I say through the grace of God given to me to everyone among you not to think themselves more highly than they ought to think. Don't think you're too important to help people in trouble but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so being many, we are one body in Christ and members one of another. As I said earlier, that means we are family. We are members one of another. So really try to think of it in that way. These other human beings are part of your hands and feet and toes. They're part of your body, and you want to have a deep feeling about that. Now turn again, if you would, back to Ephesians. Turn again, if you would, brethren, to Ephesians. He said here in verse 13, Ephesians chapter 3, 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, which is your glory, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole of family, God is enlarging His family. 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're all named the church of God. The church of God were part of the family of God that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Wow, think about this, the awesome love of God that you may be able to comprehend as you walk with God, the width, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What can that mean? If you're filled with the fullness of God, that means you will be God. You will be God to be filled with all the fullness of God. So we must try to more perfectly represent Christ in all these things. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, we have an outside power working within us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So we can glorify God and will glorify God through eternity if we learn in this church you learn in your life now, in your home, to exhibit this trait of being part of the family of God, and then God will bring you into his family and make you his son in his kingdom and in his family forever. So let's act on this, brethren. It's a big thing with God. I hope it will be a big thing with all of you.